Hello once again everyone and welcome to another edition of the CIAC cast that was some new intro music that uh, was composed by yours truly and uh, hopefully that will lead into a excellent edition of the CIAC cast. We've got a lot of ground to cover here so I am going to be briefer than normal with my introduction. Of course I am Joel Cookson and we're thrilled to have you along with us. This week we are going to be recapping a very busy weekend of fall championships. Champions crowned all over the state of Connecticut, and we've got a bushel of reporters to talk to who are on site for those championships, can offer their great perspective. We're going to talk to Nick Green of the Hartford Current on girls volleyball. Steve Buno of the Darien Times is going to shed some light on the state girls open swimming championship. Dan Nowak is going to talk to us about a little field hockey, and Matthew Conyers of the Hartford Current is going to talk boys and girls soccer. So we got a lot of great people to get to. We are going to do that right now, but first, let's quickly get into things you might have missed on CICsports.com. This time of year, uh, you can really almost, and I don't want you to do this entirely to skip CICsports.com, but you're going to want to just go to the Tournament Central section of CICsports.com. We've got all kinds of great tournament coverage there, including stories from all of those championship matches that I mentioned um, that fans can check out. We've got stories from everywhere. We've got all the brackets. We've got all of the information about the football championship which will be coming up shortly. You'll be able to track your team's qualifying status in real time on the Tournament Central page as well. In football, there's so much good stuff there. really hope that you'll just bookmark that Tournament Central page, make it a, uh, a place you check out all the time. Of course, on CIACsports.com, a few things you might have missed. One of them we announced yesterday at our annual Sportsmanship Conference, the 2014-15 CAS CIAC Battle of the Fans. This is your chance, student sections, to show us how great a supportive section and supportive fans that you are for your student athletes at your school. So we're looking for creativity. We're looking for positive behavior. We're looking for excitement. We're looking for energy. These are all the things that you can uh, demonstrate to us. Of course, the battle of the fans, all you've got to do is video your student section, demonstrating some of your best efforts as a student section, and then upload that video to YouTube. Just has to be less than three minutes, and then you can email in your submission. We will choose a winner. So you think your student section is the best in the state. Now's your chance to prove it. And uh, by taking part in the CAS CIAC 2014-15 Battle of the Fans, a new project that we're very excited about here at the CIAC, we hope that you take part in this fun competition. So you can learn all of the rules at CIACsports.com under Featured Stories. It's the top story there. We hope you check it out and hope that your school takes part in this great opportunity. Uh, of course, on CIACsports.com, we also have linked up fall championships. That's got the stories from all of the fall championships thus far from the local papers of the teams that were able to come away with the championships. So that's a great one-stop shopping resource as we head into the holiday season. That's where you can get all of your great championship story gifts at the linked up fall championships on CIACsports.com. So just a quick run through of some of the things you might have missed. But as I said, we've got a lot of guests to get to and we're going to do that right now. So first we're going to talk a little girls volleyball. Nick Green of the Hartford Current was at Glastonbury High School to watch all four conference state championship matches. And he's going to talk to though talk to us about them right now. On the phone now with one of our uh, regular volleyball correspondents. We've talked to him uh, a little bit uh, last spring, uh, wrapping up some boys' volleyball, and now we're back on the phone with Nick Green of the Hartford Current to talk a little girls' volleyball championship. Nick, thanks for being with us. 
Oh, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yep, we're very happy to uh, chat about what turned out to be a great uh, great day of volleyball at Glastonbury High School. Four championships uh, decided and four champions crowned there, and I know you had a, a pretty good seat, so want to uh, get your perspective on some of those championship matches. Uh, starting things off uh, in, in what turned out to be kind of one of the feel-good stories of the day, um, Haddam Killingworth in Class S, um, able to, after actually looking at it, the, the only set they dropped was their opening round uh, against the 33rd seed and then sort of rolled all the way to the, the championship and earned the victory over Seymour by a 3-0 score. What was sort of your big takeaway from that Haddam Killingworth championship win? Um, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing from them, it's been sort of their story, their, their rallying cry all year was their uh, coach, Richard Langer, um, announcing last year that after 40 years starting the program there that he was going to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, you know, the girls knew all year that this was his last run, and it just so happened that he had probably his best team um, that he's had in 40 years there. He won one other state title in, in 1991, um, but for him to go out uh, on top was uh, was really cool. They, they just had an all-around great year, yeah. um, not, just, not just in that championship run they they beat Morgan in the regular season for the first time, and I, I believe it was about seven years. Um, they only had one loss. They, Morgan, they split with Morgan, and they won a Shoreline title. And, and to, for them to go out and send Langer out with a championship after 40 years, I mean, that was, to me, was the biggest takeaway. You could tell all the girls were, were really excited for him. I mean, they wanted to win it for themselves, but that was definitely a, a big uh, a big moment for all of them. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, it, it, as I enjoyed one of them, one of the players kind of noting, you know, that uh, not to sound confident, but this was sort of the the goal all along was to to wrap up and his career with a with another championship. What about sort of the match itself? What what stood out to you as kind of the key to their uh, their success in that three zero win? You know, their um their hitters, um their setters, they they had a really balanced overall team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I thought in you know in that match. Maybe they, they started off just a little bit, you know, a little nervous, maybe just a little over-pumped, a little over-hyped. But then once they settled in, they were, uh, they were just clearly the, the better team. Um, uh, it, it was pretty easy. Like, as you noted, they, they rolled through the whole, the whole state tournament. Yeah. And uh, their, their hitters and their passing, and they were just a, a complete team. There wasn't one aspect of that team that, you could kind of nitpick and say that they, you know, if they this other team exposed that, they would have been able to maybe have a chance. They, they kind of from from the onset of that whole year were were kind of destined and looked like they were going to be that team that was going to go there. Yeah. Uh, another number one seed uh, that was able to to earn the championship, moving up to Class M, uh, was Granby. Uh, you know, and it's sort of interesting. Another team that seemed like it was sort of building to this championship season. The they they were the number one seed and also dropped just one uh, one mat one set on the way to the final. Um, what was sort of the story from your perspective on that Granby championship in Class M over St. Joseph? Uh, Granby, you know the. You know, going in the whole year, you know, you, you looked at Granby and they put together an undefeated regular season and then the NC, the NCCC tournament title. Um, but really, you, you know, when you talk about the NCCC in volleyball, it has to start your conversation house, has to always start with Coventry, with mm-hmm. the success that they've had within, the, uh, within their conference and within Class S. Um, so for Granby, which has been a varsity program for just six years, to, to not only put together that type of season, uh, but to you know finish it off in the uh, fashion that they did and, and winning that title, that to me was just uh, just very impressive. Um, it wasn't wasn't a team that has 
that championship pedigree that you looked at and you said, okay, you know, they, uh, you know, they should be okay in this spot. You know, they, this was sort of all new for them and this whole program and those girls. And they, um, they really, they were really impressive. Um, they handled their things just like HK. They got to feel a little bit of slow start in the game, but once they settled in, they were, they were once again, uh, a, a dominant team. And it was, uh, it was an awesome season for them and a great run for them. They really, uh, they really opened some eyes and they, they handled sort of every, every aspect or every, uh, sort of hurdle and challenge that they're faced all year yeah no uh that's it's interesting to see the team sort of build and uh and progress to the point where it seemed they uh they were really in control what uh sort of just in the match again kind of in particular stood out to you um in that contest against st joe's um it was again sort of the play at the net um they had uh just as they got settled they just had some size over st joe's at the net um you know, Kelly Holt was a senior. Uh, Casey Hunt. Those those two had big big games. Uh, Holt had a, a couple blocks blocks for kills that um, that sealed a couple sets, including the game winner. I think she went over 200. Uh, Holt went over 200 blocks mm-hmm. for her career to to win one set. Uh, they were just uh, overall just um, just sort of a physically and and at the net just a, a much better bigger you know, tougher team at that point of the year. You could uh, you could kind of see them as the game match went on. They started to impose their will once they got into their once they got into their sets, and even when they were uh, defending, their uh, their size really gave St. Joe's some problems. Yeah, no, it's certainly another uh, another exciting and a, and a deserved uh, deserved championship for for Granby. You, you mentioned championship pedigree, and we'll we'll jump up to to Class Double L. Certainly, two teams with a lot of championship pedigree and a, and a lot of storylines coming into the Class L final between Darian and Cheshire. Uh, of course, Cheshire riding the the long winning streak, and, and Darianne probably the most historically storied uh, girls volleyball program in the state. Um, what was sort of your your impressions of that match, and, and how that one played out as Darianne uh, really kind of controlled things and, and was able to earn the three zero win and another state title? Yeah, um, you know, I think think going into that match and, and with that three zero result, that was probably the biggest. The, the one I did not see coming, mm-hmm. um, you know, as you as you alluded to, Cheshire was riding a uh, well, 51 match game winning streak. Uh, they were the defending champions, and you know, I, I'm not not to say that I'm surprised Darian won because Darian has a very very good team. Uh, I was just surprised how easy they made it look. They mm-hmm. uh, they took Cheshire out of their sets, out of everything that they do, and and they just handled it. I mean, uh, Cheshire uh, Cheshire looked really strong early in the first set. And then, you know, much like all these teams uh, that won, uh, Darian settled in, and from there on out, it was uh, it was all blue wave. Um, you know, talking to some of the other guys that were there, we we kind of we kind of expected maybe one or two three zero results, but we we thought for sure in in L, and we thought almost positive in double L. We were we were looking at five setters. So, mm-hmm. you know, as the actual match, I mean, it was it was surprising um, how how easily Darian made it look. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't that easy, but they made it look easy. Um, and you know, it, it was kind of wonderful symmetry to for uh, that win streak of Cheshire to sort of start and end. You know, Cheshire's last loss was to Darien in the 2012 Double L final, and then it, you know comes to an end with them too. So uh, you know, it was, it was kind of booked. Our book then was pretty easily or pretty nicely. Yeah, no, and uh, it was sound, certainly, uh, as you say, a little bit surprising how uh, how easily or as you say, appearingly easily uh, that Darian. I know, uh, you know, as you said, there was sort of a lot of. Uh, 
sort of that Darien was able to kind of impose its will. I know lots of folks that I heard coming out of that match were able to uh, were, were really raving about the play of Darien's uh, Isabel Taylor. What were sort of your impressions of her and, and her uh, efforts in that match? She was uh, the most outstanding player in that contest. Uh, yeah, very impressive. Um, just, just her overall athletic ability um, at the net um, was, was impressive. Uh, I talked to, after the match, I talked to um, Maria Buzelli, who is the libero of Cheshire, uh, probably one of the best liberos in the state. And, you know, she, uh, you know, when asking her what was the difference, what makes them so good, uh, Taylor was the first first thing out of her mouth. You know, she just, uh, you know, I've never, uh, I've never been a libero before, but what she says is the way Taylor hits the ball and, you know, approaches those kills, she hits it to about the 10-foot ten uh, 10, 10 mark and, um she said it's almost impossible to dig dig her kills once she's heading onto there. I mean, she, Buzelli, uh, you know, also noted just the rest of the team um, being very overall, um, you know, deep and talented. But yeah, Isabel Taylor was was definitely impressive to the eye test, and was also, you know, to to the other opposing team was was a uh, quite a handful to deal with. Yeah, and uh, a very uh, a very impressive performance. And as you said, uh, the Darien sort of uh, builds on that uh, that legacy now of uh, of Class Double L championships that they've uh, they've been able to put together. So the 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 one match that uh, you had said you were expecting maybe five games, and at this point maybe we should just uh, should just. Uh, Sell out it, rent out a gym every year, and let Ram and Farmington go at each other for uh, <laughs> for a couple hours uh, in championship season. Two straight years now, these teams have put together just a, a an entertaining uh, championship final in Class L. So I know I'm sure it was a, a match that had a lot of expectation. Uh, what was sort of the big uh, big takeaway from that L final as Farmington rallied to earn the three two win? Oh uh, well, you know it was. Um... You know, it was interesting. Obviously, you kind of alluded to the big storyline there. You know, Farmington and Ram have have built up this quite this big rivalry now, um, with Ram winning last year's uh, double L title in five over Ram, um, over Farmington, and then you know they both put together undefeated seasons. Ram wins the CCC tournament over Farmington. So coming in, you know, you, you kind of maybe had to give a little bit of the edge to Ram, mm-hmm. um, thinking that you know they had won some of the bigger games in this sort of rivalry as of recently. Um, and then that's sort of how it played out early. You know, Ram won a close first game, and then in the second set, just just uh, boat raced boat raced them in the second set. And you you're like, all right, it's two zero, or we're looking at another three zero match. And then all of a sudden, you know, here comes uh, here comes Farmington, and slowly they they chip away, and they win a, a pretty impressive third set themselves. And then just the momentum switched, and you could feel in the gym everyone knew it was coming and and then Farmington runs off two more sets and and you know it wasn't really even close after that point so it was uh it was an impressive turnaround by uh by Farmington for a team that looked dead in the water to a team that sort of had the upper upper hand over them in these big matches recently for them not to not to quit and not to uh not to pack it in when they were down 2-0 was was very very impressive was there anything you know particularly in talking either to the team or anything that you noticed that that you know, other than maybe sort of the momentum and the confidence, what what seemed to sort of what is was the factor that really seemed to sw- change things in that third set? Was right. there, there anything specific, right. or was it just kind of a, a mentality shift? Um, you know, that was a question that I asked um, both coaches, um, and you know, uh, uh, Coach Arena from Farmington. You know, she she said that she could just definitely feel the momentum swing in the third game. Her, her she just kind of it was a feeling for her. Uh, Tim Guernsey of, of Ram said, you know, he felt it and, and noticed it and almost knew what was going to happen in the third set 
and Coach Tim Guernsey said said he he knew it was what was coming and he, he knew that you know that they were probably going to end up losing, which was sort of surprising, you know, for for a coach to say that he you know he could feel it that early on that it was going to kind of all come crashing down on him. But it, it was sort of that moment in the third set that that Ram just kind of fell out of their fell out of their rhythm a little bit and. You know, as the coach said, they started losing some of those longer, longer volleys, and uh, that was sort of the uh, that was the start of the end for the uh, for the Sachems there. Yeah, no, certainly, and uh, as you say, just a, a lot of a lot of drama and a lot of it's it's fun when you get these these stories and these matches that have so much sort of you know baggage is not the the you know kind of has a negative connotation but in this sense sort of a a positive you know there's so much sort of history now built into some of these contests it's fun to to see them play out and in this case Farmington really sort of shake off all that uh, recent history and and earn the victory so uh, yeah yeah you know it you know especially for Farmington a team that went you know undefeated during the regular season and they were you know even though they lost in the conference tournament they were the top overall seed in, in L and so it, it was, you know, it was really, a, it was a really fun match to watch, and uh, you know, it, it was awesome to see a team for Farmington kind of to validate what they had done all year after, uh, you know, coming so close last year. And you know, I thought it was, uh, you know, they didn't. The one thing that I was really impressed with Farmington is they never hid from that loss last year. That was a rallying cry. They had T-shirts made that says, you know, unfinished business. Um, so they never, they they embraced that loss last year and used that to fuel their fire this year and. And they, uh, you know, they they came through at the end, and it was a uh, it was impressive, and you know, it's it's always fun to see you know rival teams, even though they didn't play during the regular season, but teams that you know know each other, and it's always fun to see that in the uh, in the finals. Yeah, no, and uh, it was certainly was and, uh, a lot of fun to watch it uh, from a from a neutral perspective, so to speak, as well. Um, so you were you were there in Glastonbury for a busy day of uh, of championships, and we appreciate all the perspective on that. If you had sort of one, you know, kind of broad, big picture takeaway from the the 2014 girls volleyball season, what uh, what what might that be from covering the sport for the last uh, couple months? You know, I, I for me there was a there was a lot of parity this year that maybe you don't see that I haven't seen in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the Shoreline, um, obviously HK wins. Um, you know, Shoreline and the NCCC, you get new champions and in, in uh, HK and Granby. Uh, whereas the perennial powers, Morgan, Coventry, um, were still just as good as ever, but you know those teams sort of overtook them. You yeah. know, in the shoreline, you had teams like Valley Regional, Coggenshaw, Hale Ray, all put together really strong years. Same thing in any other conference. I just think overall, top to bottom, there was a lot of really good teams this year, mm-hmm. and it was just fun to see some of the you know traditional traditional teams that you'd expect to win. It was nice to see some different teams in there, and, and some of those teams knock those teams off. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, I've found in volleyball, it can be somewhat predictable at times. But it was, um, you know, there was definitely this this whole year there was a really good parity in the sport, which was uh, made it a lot of fun to cover. You never really knew what you were going to get. Yeah, no, love to love to see sort of a broadening sometimes of of that base of talent, and not that uh, the the top teams have to come down. Everyone can kind of uh, rise up a little bit and uh, and sort oh, of no, broaden out the, out the uh, out the competition level. Absolutely, even in talking to some of the top level coaches, and uh, you know, I talked to Morgan's Joe Grippo this year and uh, Coventry's Coventry's coach, and you know, they they all said you know their their um their sort of excellence their their power has made other teams better. It's raised mm-hmm. the bar for other teams, and you're starting to see it. You know, everyone's trying to get to that championship level to you know take down these perennial powers, and it's 
it's uplifting the whole sport, which is uh, which is really cool to see. Absolutely, and uh, led to a very exciting. Even though uh, we got a couple three zero games, they still were very well played and uh, a very exciting championship weekend. So, Nick Green, we uh, we appreciate you uh, being there to cover it and uh, being here to talk to us about it. So, thanks as always, and uh, we'll check in you with you again real soon. Cool. Thank you very much for having me. I uh, appreciate it, and uh, have a good holiday. All right, you too. Thanks very much to Nick for being with us. Love hearing his perspective. We're going to quickly move right along now. The State Open Girls Swimming Championship was held at Yale this past weekend. Steve Buno of the Darien Times, his local coverage team was able to earn the championship, so we're going to reach out to him to find out his perspective on that State Open final. Very happy to be chatting now with the very busy uh, Steve Buno, the editor, sports editor of the Darien Times, who uh, had a very busy weekend with uh, his his uh, main coverage team having a very successful championship weekend. So, Steve, as always, we're happy to uh, chat with you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's good to be with you, Joel. Um, so you were on the road all over the place, obviously, with uh, with Darianne, uh, your sort of main coverage team. But we wanted to chat with you a little bit, particularly about the swimming and diving championships. Uh, and if we could start, we'll, we'll go back a little bit to the Class L championship, uh, where we know Darianne uh, was able to earn the victory there. What was sort of the, the feeling from the team uh, that you were able to, to get the sense of from the Class L meet and sort of how they felt about their performance there and then how that sort of you know, had them feeling going into the open, at least, before we get to the to the meet itself? Well, they're seeing as, from the, from winning FCX, right, to, to winning L, to winning the open, depth is what they, they talk about. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing, and the last thing that they bring up is their depth, and it's kind of interesting, because they had tremendous depth last year, when right. they won, uh, let's see, the so-called Triple Crown, the FCX, and the L, and the Open for the second time straight, which still seems kind of strange because forever and ever, I, I've been in this business since 97, and from my perspective, forever and ever, uh, from then anyway, and back before then, Greenwich has been the, the, the queens of the pool around here, but mm-hmm. they've been dislodged now for three years in a row, FCAC, uh at the Open uh, as well. And uh, it's been done with depth, but last year Darian graduated 13 really strong swimmers who are all swimming to, to some degree at, at college, some of them to a very high degree. Mm-hmm. But um, you think that would have cratered the pool and put a hole in the bottom of the pool and emptied the water out of the pool for the waves, but it didn't. They're right back again with tremendous depth, and that was, to me, covering them, well, that sport at the school since 2000. It was a big surprise to me because, I, again, I can't get out of my head that it's not Cardinals that are that are ruling ruling the pool, but uh, they've been displaced, and it's with depth, and that's what the kids will tell you, and their passion. Marge Truffone, the coach, has, uh, she talks about having really good relationships with the kids, which mm-hmm. I guess is a big part of the battle uh, as you get up through college and pros. I don't know how much that is a factor of being a good coach. I guess there's a bit of that, but I think, I think it, it's a bit difficult to have that and to tap into a teenager's head uh, and motivate them as a as a grown-up, especially as a uh, uh, an authority figure, as a coach. But she's managing that. She's friends with these kids, and they will they'll stick their head in a bucket full of, of chlorine, as, as she says. They put their face in chlorine. These kids will put, stick their head in a bucket full of chlorine for her. And I think that's where the depth's coming from. She's got talented kids, right? They mm-hmm. all go to their clubs, and they swim competitively forever, and they're right on the sound, so it's 
has a lot of good raw material, mm-hmm. but she's tapping into it, and I think that's where the depth that they talk about comes from. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's certainly, and uh, and that depth does make a big difference, you know, at, the, at these these larger meets, you know, where where it's you're not going to be able to just completely dominate, but to have the uh, the the swimmers, you know, coming in with points at, at a lot of different, uh, not just coming get your getting your first place finishes, but all those finishes uh, start to add up. So, you know, obviously you talked about that, you know, the replacing thirteenth thirteen departed seniors. Was this? Would you say talking to the team and and covering them that this was a little bit unexpected for the team maybe you know you weren't were a little bit surprised by it but do you, do you feel like this was sort of expected from the team's perspective they were kind of surprised too because they they're they're big dual and actually for they say so and they they have repeated this that they, it's their first perfect season they say so they won all their dual meets but mm-hmm. to start the season their big dual meets against let's see wilson greenwich and New Canaan, mm-hmm. and they capped that with New Canaan was the third of the three, and they of course they won them all. They were surprised. They seemed surprised. They hoped they had that. That um, they hoped they were able to patch over actually losing those thirteen. That was a big theme uh, after last season through the summer as these kids went to college and uh, March was was uh, touting you know rightfully so how they were all going off to swim and this was a great group, the greatest group she ever had, just about. So they were very conscious going in this year of the fact they had to patch over some great big gaps. So when they beat their three big rivals, capping that with beating New Canaan, mm-hmm. about a month into the season, I think, they were surprised to the point where I was at the meet when they beat New Canaan, and they were beaming. They really were, and they felt, and the feeling was that they had patched things over and that they were going to be really successful this year, hopefully, with fingers crossed going into what mattered in the postseason. They all they talked about that. But it seemed like they, they were reacting with joy to the fact that, yes, we, we can come back again, even with missing 13 of our best from the year before. Yeah, no, that's a, it is a pretty remarkable, uh, and, and to get that validation early on, I'm sure certainly helped uh, bolster the confidence as they went along. How about kind of yeah. leading into the uh, leading into the Open? Was there still, obviously they had had the success in the Class L meet and, uh, you know, knew they would face um, some stiff competition again from a lot of those same teams and then some new teams maybe uh, at the Open that, that obviously weren't in their Class Championship. What was the sort of feeling and the mindset uh, of the team either before and then after in terms of uh, the challenge that they faced at that meet? Well, it's kind of the same as going into L. They were they never got too big-headed about this, or uh, as well as, as they've done through the stepping stones of the postseason meets. They were always a little bit hesitant as mm-hmm. to whether they'd actually do this. But I think they were erring on the side of uh, being good competitors yeah. because they blew it out in L. Mm-hmm. Uh, hundreds of points they won by. I mean, it's incredible. And then, and then they did the same. They blew it out by a hundred or so in uh, at the Open. So, I, I, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to tell. It's a big sense of accomplishment. I know that. And they I, they're very conscious of having, you know, in a straightforward way put all the work in for this thing and it just you know everyone puts work in though maybe they worked a little harder i don't know than their nearest competitors but it their hard work worked out for them and their that is what was foremost on their mind yeah no certainly and uh it was you know striking a, and and in reading your story about the the open championship you know uh 
to Coach Trafone talking about how, you know, this was about how hard that Open Championship was, even though the scoreboard, as you said, you know, they, they win by yes. 100 yes. plus points. But uh, it, was not a, it was not a comfortable, necessarily, 100-point victory, if, if there's such a thing. N- not for them. No, they were holding their breath a little bit mm-hmm. uh, for the, for, uh, through the first half. Well, what happened this year, Joel, is that which is unusual. I don't want to put anybody down. But uh, they, they have good divers, but I mean, in the past they've had some pretty super divers sure. and who have gotten them a ton of points and won states and, and, uh, or come in top three. In fact, all, for, for quite a few years in the past 15 or so, or 12 or so, like that, uh, 14 I think it is since I've been doing this, they've, had, they've riddled the open even, the, the states and the open they've, with divers. They've mm-hmm. riddled the top ten with finishes, and it's same depth thing, you know, not necessarily winning, but they would have all four of their divers scoring really well at state and open meets in the past. This year they didn't. They've got, they're, they're doing the old uh, turnover, you know, they've got uh, rebuilding or whatever, they, whatever the euphemism is, and so they're coming back with diving, but very unusually they didn't have points. They didn't go into the swim with hefty points, which they have in the past. Yeah. So even though, you know, so they're still winning by hundreds in the L and a hundred in the open, and that's without diving. So I guess to that extent, it's all, it's all relative, and, and going into the open without any diving points, that is kind of put them a foot back. So it took them half a meet to blow it out. Yeah. Yeah, no, certainly, uh, as you say, a, a remarkable and uh, a pretty remarkable run uh, that the the program has been on uh, over the past mm. three years. And as you said, a, a bit of a sea change. Obviously, that, that your your portion of the state has, has perennially, uh, you know, been one of the strongest and earning open championships and, and class championships. But it has been a, a different uh, a different group uh, in the last few years. And that's certainly Interesting mm. to see and, and interesting yeah. to uh, to observe that that change for for whatever the reason might be. Yes, yes, that's for sure. That's it is a change. It's this team now. I, I can't see them letting go of it because many of the kids that got them through this year scoring points. They had one girl, Ferreira, who probably was the most consistent winner. She won the five hundred free. There's there there's several more, but she was somewhat dominant if you're going to call anybody or a star you know mm-hmm. of, in their pool if anybody was tons of points for her she goes away but this whole thing here about stepping in filling in the whole gaps for the 13 that left there's a lot of you uh, underclassmen they're all youth but uh, there's a lot of underclassmen on this team so uh, this probably will roll on and i called i told Gren, uh or marge i told marge and i called it in the paper and on online they're the new Greenwich, you know, you're the new Greenwich. And, mm-hmm. of course, what's also interesting, Marge fired, uh, Marge Jaffone, the coach, Darian's coach, fired back, well, I wish we had, I wish we had, uh, if we're the new Greenwich, I wish we had their pool. <laughs> and, of course, they don't have a pool. They, they operate out of the Y. They get plenty of time there. But then again, people like Greenwich, um, you know, with their own pool, that's why they, that's a contributing factor uh, right on top of Darian's mind. I know that sure. through the years that, um you know they they're doing this now with without their own pool sort of thing. It's not like they're deprived. Oh dear, they don't have their own pool, but that's what they're competing against, and that's another factor. Yeah. That um, you know they're getting this done without their own pool, but they have a lot of kids that were scoring, like you said, up and down the uh, up and down the events to get them all these points. Not necessarily winning many at all, but winning several, winning some relays, 500 free with that Ferrer, but. Uh, 
Ferrara, rather. And um, most of those points are coming from a lot of underclassmen consistently scoring. So I, I think that the new Greenwich is here, blue and white one, is, is here to stay. Yeah, we will certainly uh, certainly keep an eye we'll on see. it. And, uh, <laughs> It's a it's a, it's a lot of fun I know to uh, to get those kind of rivalries and and to see things uh, switch around a little bit and uh, and get some new new perspective and some new uh, faces obviously there've been a lot of dominant programs yeah. uh, in swimming uh, across the state uh, you know and to to sort of see you know these teams challenge and and change the story a little bit is. Uh, is certainly exciting, and we certainly hope, uh, you know, it, it's a sport that maybe doesn't get quite as much coverage, but that the Open Championship at Yale is certainly a, a great event and one that we hope, uh, yes. hope fans uh, yes. ha- make it to and, uh, and really get to appreciate because it is a great high school, high school championship event. So, right. Steve, right. We, uh, we greatly appreciate your, uh, your insight into the, uh, the Open Championship in swimming, and uh, we'll certainly hopefully check in with you again soon uh, uh, as we head on down the road. So stay busy, as uh, I'm sure it will be a busy time of year for you, and thanks for being with us. Yes, thank you, Joe. I'm glad to be on. Moving along now to field hockey as we thank Steve for chatting with us. Field hockey at Weathersfield High School. Dan Nowak of the New Haven Register was on site. He offers his reports now from what was an exciting day of field hockey championships. The field hockey championships took place this past weekend at Weathersfield High School and Dan Nowak of the New Haven Register was there keeping tabs on all the action and he's now here with us to, uh, to let us know what happened. Dan, thanks for being with us. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Always happy to talk to you. So we uh, had three very competitive uh, championship games this past weekend at Weathersfield, and uh, I know one team that you were particularly uh, familiar with from uh, particularly your coverage area was the Daniel Hand squad that was able to come away with the 2-1 victory over Wilton in Class M. So let's start there. What right. was sort of your uh, your big takeaway and kind of impression from uh, from that Class M championship game? Uh, well, uh, that was a very interesting game because uh, 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 there were two goals scored by hand in the second half, 52 seconds uh, apart. Uh, mm-hmm. Katie Amdahl uh, gave uh, hand a one nothing lead, and then 52 seconds later, Sam Pavano scored to make it 2 nothing. So you would think that would be uh, you know offensive, uh, high, high, you know highly offensive uh, game. But actually, uh, they only had three shots on goal. So the thing is, defense has always been key in these field hockey championship games. Yeah. Uh, actually, since 1973, there have been 121 games, and uh, four or more goals have only been scored in five games overall, which uh, <laughs> says a lot about defense. And on Saturday, it was pretty much more the same in all the, all the championship games, mm-hmm. including this Class M game. Uh, you know, Hand had three shots on goal, and Wilton only had two shots on goal. Uh, sure. And both goalies, Mel Rennie from Hand and uh, uh, Amanda Hendry from uh, Wilton, both had one save. So uh, the on-field defense and, and the goalies uh, played a big part in this game. Yeah, and certainly it uh, led to, as you said, you know, teams that, that make the most of what limited chances they get uh, seem to be the ones that, that are able to, to earn those championships, which kind of leads into the Class S game as well. You know, I uh, I was able to, to stop in at Weathersfield for a little bit, and all I had seen of the Class S uh, game was the score. So when I noted to uh, to one of the, you know, field hockey tournament folks, you know, that they must, that their first game hadn't been particularly competitive with the 3 nothing victory for Lewis Mills, I was quick quickly corrected uh, and said, no, no, that was quite a game, and that score was a little bit deceiving. So what was uh, uh, what was really the situation with the Class S as Lewis Mills came away with the championship? Well, uh, you know, Lewis Mills scored three goals, but once again, I mean, uh, in, in the overall scheme of things, uh, defense played a big part in that game as well. Granby, 
actually had a lot of chances uh, to score. They had 22 penalty corners and actually 10 shots on goal, mm-hmm. and uh, yet uh, they didn't score. Uh, Lewis Mills goalie Jillian uh, Maison had 10 saves in the on-field defense, uh, led by uh, Andy Stone, who's a pretty good defender. Uh, they limited uh, the, the shots to uh, to ten and uh, just stymied uh, Granby anytime uh, they they had a you know uh, a chance in front of the net. It was uh, pretty pretty impressive. Uh, pretty good uh, uh, defensive clinic uh, was was put on uh, by Lewis Mills uh, during that game. Absolutely, and then uh, the the Class L championship for uh, for two teams that ended up have two schools, I should say, that ended up having very good days uh, around the state of the Connecticut in in Glastonbury and Darien. Uh, mm-hmm. Each team again able to sort of find the goal once uh, in sort of a pretty uh, short period in the second half, uh, and that was all the scoring. What was uh, what was your big takeaway from that Class L championship? Well, going into that game, uh, the big question everybody had was: Would uh, Glastonbury allow? Darien to score because mm-hmm. Glastonbury, I mean, they had an incredible defensive season. Uh, they didn't allow a, a goal at all yeah. uh, during the entire season uh, leading up to that game. Uh, but, you know, Darien, as you well know, is, is a powerhouse uh, down in the FCAC, and uh, you figured something was going to happen, uh, you know, for them posit- you know, on, on the positive end of uh, the offense and uh, the, the attack at some point, and it did. Uh, Glastonbury did take a, a, a one nothing lead uh, by Lena DeMarco, but uh, shortly thereafter, Kyla Johns uh, tied it at 1-1, and that's pretty much how it stayed, and we had co-champs. Yeah, and uh, and certainly some some exciting uh, dramatic moments late in that game as both teams tried to uh, to get the goal that was going to uh, give them the championship outright. But uh, unable oh, yeah. to. Dan Bar- uh, Darien really put some pressure on at the end, and uh, the on-field defense and goalie. Uh, and Glastonbury goalie uh, Mayor uh, Casey really uh, uh, came through. Yeah. Any, uh, you know, I know you, you've mentioned sort of the defense, and that was the big kind of takeaway from the weekend, that the teams that uh, that really executed and played the strongest defense were sort of the ones that came away with the title. Any players that really jumped out at you after, uh, you know, watching all three of those championship matches? Well, actually, uh, you know, uh, I hate to tout somebody from our circulation area, but in Class M, Hannah Lecky on defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been the catalyst uh, for uh, that team pretty much all year uh, on, on the defensive end. She's the uh, daughter, actually, of uh, hand coach Sue Lecky. And uh, Hannah actually went into that game uh, uh, determined to get her mother her first uh you know, state championship and uh, both goals uh, that were scored actually in that game by hand. Uh, the uh, offensive attack was actually initiated by Hannah, and uh, I mean she was doing it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, really, uh, really dominating in, in that defensive end. But you know, she wasn't the only one back there. I mean, uh, you know, de- uh, defense was uh, another key for for hand all uh, all season and. Uh, you know, be, uh, you know, Hannah Lucky, uh, Aaron Mamley, and, and Sam Pavano, all uh, you know, and, and others uh, were, were really key back there. Uh, uh, as far as uh, uh, Class S, uh, Jillian Mason, the goalie, was she came up with some unbelievable saves because Lewis Mills, like I said earlier, was really you know putting a lot of offensive pressure uh, on throughout the game, and she came up with some really big saves. She had ten saves, and out of those ten saves. I would say six or seven were probably real quality saves, uh, you know, right in front of the net. Right. And uh, you know, in Class L, um, 
you know, the on-field defense uh, w- w- was impressive, but, uh, you know, Darian, uh, Darian uh, put on uh, a lot of pressure, as we talked about earlier, too. And, uh, you know, they, you know, I think they out, they outshot him something like 20 to, 20 to 4, I think, in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their goalie, their uh, Mira Casey, uh, Glassenberry's goalie, came up with 10 saves in that game, and she had like four or five quality saves. And, you know, Darian is so strong. I mean, they had uh, some incredible uh, point-blank shots right out in front that she made kick saves on. Yeah, no, a lot of a uh, lot of really impressive efforts and uh, a lot of a lot of drama. It, it was a, a a very tense uh, tense day, I would say, at uh, at Weathersfield, and led to a lot of uh, a lot of excitement. You know, even as we said, the the three right. the three zero victory, a little bit deceiving in that game, and then the a one goal game, and then of course a game that uh, that ended with co champions. So a lot of uh, right. a lot of tension and a, a lot of really strong play all the way around at uh, from field hockey this year. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, you know, I mean, these championship games are, are always exciting. I mean, I, I'm to be honest with you, between you and I, I mean, uh, and, and the lamppost here, I mean, uh, I'm surprised. You know, a lot more youth uh, youth teams in the state don't go to these games because, I mean, uh, these teams win or lose, they put on these these clinics that that I, I think youth players would really be able to benefit from because of the. You know, high level of play that you see in these championship games. Yeah, no, and it really is a it's a fast paced kind of end to end at times uh, kind of action, and uh, it really does uh, with with a state title on the line, it brings a lot of excitement. So, right. Dan, uh, we we love talking to you and, and getting your perspective. We know it was a, a fun day for you out there covering all the championships, and folks can check out your stories at uh, Game Time CT in the New Haven Register to uh, to get the full recap on what took place at uh, at Weathersfield. So we thank you as always for joining us. And I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to Dan for talking to us this afternoon. And now we wrap things up. A busy and very full conversation coming up with Matthew Conyers. We had eight soccer championship matches around the state. Matt keeps as good a track as anybody on soccer around the state of Connecticut. He joins us now to recap what was a very eventful day of soccer finals. On the phone now, we've got Matthew Conyers of the Hartford Current, their uh, their soccer writer who was all over the place uh, in the fa- past few weeks looking at uh, state playoff games and then had the fortune of catching one of the, the real strong games over the weekend. So we wanted to touch base with him and get his perspective on what transpired over championship uh, weekend. Matt, thanks as always for being with us. Thanks for having me, Joel. I'm happy to be here. We love uh, love talking a little soccer with you. I know you've uh, got a good perspective on it and, and got to see a lot of the championship teams uh, that were able to come away with trophies over the past weekend. So let's start out, uh, if we could, with the games that you were able to see in person, and, and one of them certainly was a game that uh, a lot of people were excited about. So let's start with that. What what sort of before the game why do you think the uh, the Glastonbury versus Farmington Class Double L boys game was such a big draw, sort of in the first place? Well, I, I think first of all, you look at history, Joel. When you when you look at those two teams, um, you know, other than maybe Staples and Weatherfield and maybe a few other teams after that, Glastonbury and Farmington are in boys soccer, and certainly in the moment, they're two of the strongest programs around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glastonbury won the title last year, tied it with Ridgefield. And Farmington won Class L. So you have obviously two teams that have been in the spotlight not only in the past but recently. And you got two great coaches, coaches that are well known. Mark Lander is very well known in soccer state, and it doesn't get any bigger than Steve Waters when you talk about high school coaching, mm-hmm. uh, just not high school soccer. Uh, and you look at the 
look at the past games they've played against each other, not just in the regular season, which have been great games, packed games. I mean, just a couple of years ago, Farmington and Glastonbury played a game at Texas Mead, uh, beginning of the year, and you had about 1,500 people show up to a September game. Yeah. I mean, people really do care about this rivalry, but then you look at the finals they've had. Both games played before this one were two game, two one games. Uh, the one in 2008, and I've said this many times, I've said it on Twitter, and I've told a lot of people this, one of the best high school games I've ever covered. Mm-hmm. You have about six 500 people that show up to Willowbrook Park uh, in New Britain to see the game. It was part of a great day of high school soccer. It was kind of the culmination of a, three games being played at Willowbrook. It was there, actually, they might have been four. I must, might have spoke there. Um, but Weathersfield played before. Ellington played before. That was in 2008. It was just a great game. You had players that went on to play at the next level. Uh, you had players that were just were doing anything possible for their team to help them win. You had two great piece goals, a comeback from Glastonbury. Uh, you know, in that game, actually, Adam Laplaca, the goalie, who ended up being our current player of the year later on, mm-hmm. he was he got taken out because of a red card. He had to make a he had to make a stop. He had to, he made the right call, right play, uh, which is a red call call to kind of stop a goal, but ended up getting taken out. So you add that layer of the story to it. Um, so I think people were really excited to see what happened this time. That game was still, I mean, six years ago, I mean, it was a little bit far away, but people was fresh enough in their mind. And, and you're, looking, you're talking not only about a program that brings uh, two great coaches in, but always great players because of the feeder systems. Mm-hmm. Last Mary and Farmington, the best at putting players into the high school game because of the way they promote the game at the earlier stages. And, uh, you know, it, it's two programs that haven't really been dramatically affected by the academy situation. Farmington's still getting a lot of the players to come out. Kids want to play for Farmington. They dream playing about soccer in Farmington. And, of course, the Glastonbury is a little closer to Oakwood, uh, so it, it feels the impact of maybe the academy a little bit more, but still you're getting a lot of the top players there, kids that want to play Glastonbury. And this was a Glastonbury team that a lot of people were unsure of the years, so that adds another layer to it. This is a team that kind of is making a Cinderella run. You know, we kind of cliche churn, but it was very true in sense for Glastonbury. This is a team that was very unexpected getting to this point, so I think that added to it a little. Yeah, absolutely. So all of that said, and uh, it, it turned out to be a you know a reasonably good day for soccer. The sun was out; it was a little windy, which uh, you know can certainly impact the game a little bit. But uh, in terms of the game itself, uh, w- with Glastonbury able to to come away with the title, what were sort of your big takeaways from that uh, that double L championship game? I think that the thing that stuck with me is that Glastonbury always found a way this year. I mean, even when they were out, I mean, you look about a month ago. They had four players out of a game against these caps. But now they won that game with four players, four starters out of a game for Glastonbury. You have to look pretty hard to find another Glastonbury team in recent memory that's been hit that hard by injuries. Ended up losing about six stars through the year, beginning the season. Before the first game is even played, they lose Tyler Peterson, their senior leader, their emotional uh, backbone, uh, the guy that really gets them going. Lose him early on. They're, they're smaller, they're younger than... Glastonbury teams in the past, mm-hmm. so they kind of have to weather the storm there. Then you, then you get they, they start playing a little bit better by the time October rolls around. They get hit with those injuries, so they have to they have to suffer through that, deal with that that little bit of adversity. Then they get to the end of October, and then they start playing their worst soccer they've played basically all year. Uh, they go one and three to enter the state tournament, 
they play a game in the, the CCC tournament, the first round against uh, Ram. It looks like everything's going their way in that game. Uh, they show up to Hebron to play the game at the top seeds uh, venue. Mm-hmm. They can't play, so they have to go back to Glastonbury. So you think, okay, maybe this is going to work in Glastonbury's favor. That couldn't be more far from the truth. Uh, they end up going down on two Ben Lawrence goals for Ram, and they never really recovered out of the game, and they just didn't look great. You know, I don't think I'm misspeaking by saying that. They just didn't look like the team you expect to see. Uh, but they ended the tournament. They played Newtown. I was at that first-round game, and they weren't great. They scored an early goal, and they scored a late goal. But in between, they were getting beat by Newtown, who was very well coached, played the game well, probably in any other draw could have been playing a couple more games in the Class Double tournament. They get through that game, and all of a sudden, uh, they beat Fairfield Ludlow. Dan Jennings had a couple great saves, uh, and they start rolling. They play Simsbury very well. They dominate against Darianne, and they show up against Farmington. Farmington scores that early goal, but as the game wears on, Glastonbury gets a little bit better, and I think it's kind of a uh, how they were this year might cause them how they played, how their season was for them. They just slowly got better and better. They started to come together. And they really knew how to deal with the diversity. And uh, it's almost fitting that they, they have to come back, score that goal uh, with about 12 minutes left, which is, I, I went back and checked the record. Uh, it was almost uh, two minutes away from when they scored to tie Farmington in, in 2008. Mm-hmm. They get into overtime and they handle that adversity. Uh, they keep doing what they, they keep possessing the ball a little bit better. They hold in the ball a little bit more patience. So I think that's what stuck out. The main thing that stuck out to me in that game that stood out to me, is just the way Glastonbury kept fighting back. I know it's a simple thing, maybe it's not a technical aspect, uh, but it was just a team that really handled adversity, and I'm I'm not afraid to say I didn't think they'd win the championship. I've picked Glastonbury many years to get them to the final. This was not the year to pick them. Many coaches would agree to this, and I had a couple say that there's no way Glastonbury wins this year. Uh, So for for them to come together, uh, stay tight the whole year, and just handle adversity, even when they get scored on about 80 seconds into the game on Saturday. They still handled it, started to play better. Um, you know, my story, I wrote about a, a set piece that they had in the beginning of the game, about 20 minutes in, where they just looked horrendous. But they were able to kind of put that behind them, and they end up scoring on two restarts, which was the difference. It was kind of, kind of funny. But uh, I think the key for this class of team, and I think Mark Landers will tell you the same, is it was a different group. There were there were tight as they've ever been, kind of goofy, kind of comical. Uh, they really did love each other. I know it's another cliche we throw mm-hmm. out as sports writers, but they really did get along. And I think that helped when they got went through that tough stuff. They were able to just kind of look to the future and not dwell on it, maybe as some of the teams that had maybe a little bit more talent in the past got stuck on that, and they, they really couldn't get through it. Yeah, no, and it did turn out, as you said, to uh, the adversity sort of continued all the way into that championship game where, as you said, they give up the, the early goal but battle back and uh, and come away with a win. It, uh, what turned out to be a pretty big day for uh, for Glastonbury overall, which we'll we'll get to in a little bit. But uh, the other game that you uh, you saw at uh, Willowbrook Park, a uh, hard-fought battle between East Hampton and Summers in the uh, the Class S uh, boys title game. Uh, what was your, your big impression from that contest? hard fought and that was certainly the case uh hard physical battle tough uh sometimes not the greatest game to, to keep your eye on because there was uh, a lot of physical play mm-hmm. uh, a lot of fouls uh but two teams that really were really playing hard yeah uh, and, you know obviously it's tough to watch them come off the 
field after 110 minutes without a score, but uh, I think that added to it. There was a lot of intensity in that game, a lot of passion in that game, and I, I was impressed by both sides and how they approached and they kept fighting. Uh, you know, on paper, you look at it, uh, Summers might have a little bit more depth than East Hampton. Uh, they certainly have a lot of speed. Not that East Hampton doesn't have speed. I think I was impressed with that aspect of the game for East Hampton. Uh, but a guy like Corey Brown, he's a guy who, who scored a ton of goals this year. He's gotten a lot of tension. And you just expect Summers to come out and play hard and fast like they have because they have that tournament history. And they didn't disappoint. They certainly played that way. But on the other side, East Hampton, uh, didn't uh, give up anything easily, mm-hmm. uh, played a great game, and I thought they were really impressive in how they were able to stretch the field at times and play some through balls. I thought they really worked well together uh, with each other for long periods of the game. Uh, I think there were ebbs and flows in the momentum. I think Summer certainly held possession for periods, but so did East Hampton. And East Hampton really, I thought, at the end of it, when you look at both sides, I thought East Hampton probably had the better of the chances and the better sustained play. Uh, obviously, Summers, the way they play, is very tough to maintain and very tough to uh, really run away with a game because they're, they're just on top of you, a very mm-hmm. aggressive team, and that doesn't really allow for many uh, one-sided outcomes. But East Hampton, great year for them, uh, and they kind of complete. They're another underdog team that not many people would have predicted here. They were not in the coaches' poll really at all this season. I don't think they got one vote most of the season. Uh, they had four shoreline teams ahead of them. They weren't getting any attention, really, from a lot of people. Uh, and they just they, they got a good draw for them, and they were able to win some games. They got, and they got a big win against HK, um, and, and they get to the tournament game, and they, they seem to be playing loose. There didn't seem to be too many uh, nerves out there. Uh, they didn't miss a couple great shots, but that's soccer. You know, you, yeah. you leave the game... Uh, yeah, you didn't make all your chances, but then most soccer games, you're kind of you're kind of thinking about that, kind of discussing that. So um, I, I really enjoy that game. Physical game, uh, like I said, it could have been a little tough to watch it sometimes because maybe it wasn't the prettiest soccer game. But on entertainment level, uh, there seemed to not go about two minutes where something was wasn't happening. There wasn't something happening that you really need to keep your eyes on, and it was nice to see. Uh, East Hampton really give uh, Summers a game too, because I think some people, a lot of outsiders thought, uh, you know, Summers was kind of kind of the team, the favorite came in, uh, could have won by two goals. I think some of that was some of the expectations coming in, but East Hampton really played them evenly. And when you left that game, not saying Summers was the better team, or you know, it was a very even game, uh, a very fun game with a lot of chances. I mean, there was a PK with about three minutes left. There was a red card call with about ten minutes left. And regardless of how you feel about the calls, you know, I'm not going to go on the soapbox here and talk about some of the calls, but uh, it just was a game with a lot of entertainment value, a lot of uh, things you could talk about after. Uh, they ended up missing the PK. I talked to the kid, uh, Jordan Casey, who missed the PK. A great kid. Not, you know, he just he embraced it. He didn't make any excuses. He, he, he just said, look, it was a long game. Uh, a little bit of fatigue. I was going where I wanted to, and I just put it a little wide. Yeah. Uh, so it's ne- nice to talk to a kid like that. They don't kind of skirt the issue. They admit it up front. I, I, I kind of enjoyed that. And I thought, you know, another thing with that game is uh, uh, Jermaine Keller, the, the coach of East Hampton, first season 
first season on the job takes over after two decades of Bob Bastarino at East Hampton coaching. Uh, East Hampton had never won. Bob had won about 200 games. He takes over. That's a lot of pressure to take over for a legend. We see it, and it doesn't always work out right away. But he did it. He had the he had the support of the kids. He preached the right message, and uh, he was able to get them a championship. And regardless if it's a co-championship or not, East Hampton has that first title. And Summers, I know they're probably a little bit disappointed because they had heavy expectations this year, but uh, it's a championship for them, and, and it was very deserving the way they played against the and the NCCC schedule. I mean, they tied Ava, you know, so they they were very, two very deserving champions. Uh, East Hampton's the team that kind of rides the roller coaster. Summers, the team that's been there all year, but. Uh, uh, both of them deserved it at the end. Yeah, no, a lot of fun, and as you say, you like to see that that highly competitive championship game, particularly maybe when it wasn't what uh, folks expected. Um, as we said, those are the only two uh, championship games Matt was able to catch in person, but certainly familiar with a lot of the other teams that were able to come away with championships this year. So we're going to kind of bounce around and get his take on uh, on some of the teams that were able to come away with soccer championships this year, starting over staying with Class S and what turned out to be sort of one of the, the more interesting stories uh, as Portland as the 29th seed. Yes, you, uh, you heard that correctly, the 29th seed in the Girls Class S championship uh, earns back-to-back titles after being co-champions last year. What can you tell us about this Portland team and sort of their road to the uh, to the somewhat unlikely championship? I, I think you were right, Joel. I, I think, you know, maybe the last very Farmington game was the headline, but this this Portland team was the story of the tournament. Uh, a really remarkable story when you look at it. And you guys told us this is the highest, this is, I guess you would say, the lowest seed ever to advance this far in the CIAC soccer tournament, which is just amazing when you look at what Portland had to recover from, not just last year, but this year. Look, They were the team that went to the finals twice. They won last year against they tied Old Saybrook last year. They were the best team they've ever had in program history last year. Mm-hmm. They, they were the team everybody was focused in on it for, from the town and the community because they knew that was the team to watch. And they ended up going table to uh, season – the start of the season to the end of the season, running the table a little bit, able to complete the storybook season. And they got a lot of attention last year. They kind of they graduated a lot of those players from that team, and, and they kind of were going to take a step back, and they did at the beginning of the year. And so, and, and they ended up not even barely winning games in October. They went into the, the tournament having just won two games in about five weeks' time, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Uh, it goes against everything you're supposed to think when you go into a tournament, is you got to be hot you got to be winning games. That's how you pick teams. But you look at a team like Barlow in the boys' side this year, who maybe didn't have the greatest season by Barlow standards, but they got hot at the right time of the year because they, they got in a roll. That was not the case for Portland. Uh, and, in fact, what happened that really worked for them is they were able to get some time off and reevaluate kind of how they approached the game, how they looked at the game. Uh, and that was everything for them. And they were able to get on a roll. Uh, obviously, when you talk about tournaments, you have to talk about draws. Maybe the draw helped them a little bit. But when you come into the season with a, when you're not playing well at the end of the year just based on results and you have a losing record, uh, who cares about the draw at this point? Mm-hmm. Just winning a game is, is impressive. And uh, Portland was able to do that, put it really together at the right time. And I think that the story of the year, uh, honestly, is to, for them to forge ahead, uh, after what they were able to do the last two years, this team had no pressure on them, didn't really have the identities the other teams had uh, as far as in the media and attention of people that follow the state. Came really out of nowhere, 
uh, won a couple games, got some momentum, got good goal goaltending from Brooke Marconi. They, they got good play in the midfield. Uh, they just seem to be on a team on a uh, mission, and they get to that championship game. He's a t- Ken, he's a tie that takes the early lead. They face some adversity, uh, and they're able to fight through it. It, it is remarkable, and uh, I, I, I have to give a lot of credit to the coaching staff and the players for keeping believing. Um, I, I, I'm safe in saying, you know, I predicted, I think, Portland for two years in a row. I predicted in almost every game they played, I predicted in the win. <laughs> I did not predict them at all to do anything this season. I thought they'd be on the verge of making the tournament, uh, but, when you, but when you look at it, you, that was something at the beginning of the year. You said, uh, "I think they have enough. They have enough pieces, but uh, can they get through?" So they got there, and maybe some of that experience that held over was able to carry over into the championship game. But it, it is really a remarkable, special story, and, and I hope it's one that gets a little bit of attention even after the tournament is over because. Uh, last year they didn't win a title outright, and that was the team. That was the team everybody was talking about, yep. and, and not just Class S, but in the short line. And they do it this year uh, as one of the, the also runs. And it's uh, you, you don't see something like this happen very often in high school sports. There's a lot of underdog runs, uh, make no mistake, but something like this where a team is able to kind of quickly get out of the shadow of a great team, one of the best teams in program's history, and really make their own legacy is, is something special. I think it's what every kid goes into the high school season looking to do is, yeah, the seniors were great last year, but I want to kind of make my own impact. And it's, uh, we saw that a little with a lot of teams this year. Farmington was a team that lost a great senior class. Uh, so was Glastonbury uh, in boys soccer. Uh, they came back and they played really well to get to this point. So it's a lot of, you know, we saw a lot of teams this year head into the year with a lot of pressure, not knowing what they were going to get out of it. Suffield was the same way. And they came back and really did something special. Yeah. But uh, Portland, it's just me. It doesn't get old to hear it about it, Joe. I mean, it's just very, very impressive. Uh, you know, we, we do our all-current stories of the year at the end. We put something on our cover when we come out with the all-current. And i got to believe that's my top nomination at this point. Unless you got something better for me. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think you're you're in the mix, and hopefully, uh, you know, I'm in the midst of a pretty massive research project. We have all of the archive championships, but we don't have uh, at the moment the 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 ability to to the our histories don't have all the seeds. So I'm going through bracket by bracket to figure out if they are in fact the lowest seed to ever win a CIC championship in any sport, and I'm uh, I'm I'm plowing through that. So we'll uh, once we find out, we'll certainly uh, tweet that out. They were the lowest seed we know to ever win the girls' soccer championship. They to actually even make the finals uh, in the girls' soccer tournament. Um, and you forget for a lot of these sports, um, you know, it's recent maybe within the last 10 to 15 years that teams under 500 could even qualify. So the the fields have expanded because of that. So in a lot of years, there wouldn't even have. Uh, this this team yeah, with its six nine and one record have, wouldn't even have been in the tournament. So uh, you didn't have the forty percent rule. So right. Yeah. Lot, that excludes a lot of teams. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, pretty amazing. They they get in with a six six nine and one regular season record, the last team to qualify uh, in Class S and, er, and earn the championship. So the so, so, yeah. And I, I just want to repeat, you know, a kudos to the coaching staff with Sandy Booth Jr. And, and just the players. I mean, they, I, they, the players before them got so much attention. But this group was special in its own right. And, uh, you know, I mentioned their goaltender, uh, Kayla Hardesty, is another, another player. Uh, and I'm probably mispronouncing her name. That's why I'm a writer and, not, and I don't have to say things. But Anna Rose, <laughs> Zepano, 
uh, these were players that really stepped up this year and helped carry this group. Yeah, no, and uh, so you're talking about one upset, and we move, you know, in, in terms of seeding, and then you look at Class M uh, with East Catholic, another team that I know you're uh, you're familiar with. They they were able to uh, advance through the tournament and get into the sem- into the championship as the number twenty seed. So not exactly a, a a team that had a dominant regular season, and they were able to win the championship. What do we know about East Catholic, and what was their story this year? Well, we know their fans are passionate. I can tell you that much, Phil. In the last week or so, I've been uh, I've been nailed up in, uh, on Twitter, and deservedly so. I did not pick East Catholic to win. Uh, I picked them to win their second game, and after that, I was against them the whole way. Not against, but, you know, just picking against them. Sure. Uh, Soccer's a tough game to make predictions, but, boy, did their fans, uh, they got behind this team, and they supported this team. And every and as the tournament went on, I heard more and more about the uh, you know, why didn't you pick an East Catholic? And, and boy, when I, I didn't pick them for the final, and they won, uh, I heard about it. But uh, you kind of like that. It's the first title in school history, so they were really excited about it. East Catholics had, a, even if you look at other teams at the school, they've had a, a tough run when it comes to championships, getting upset or losing heartbreakers in the final. I just think back a couple of years ago when they lost that really tough overtime game in hockey, a mm-hmm. uh, sport they really care about. So this was a, a championship they were really clamoring for, and they played great. Uh, if you look at the start of the year, they're another one of the teams that didn't get attention in their own league. Uh, in in the CCC North, the coming to the postseason, you obviously had Glastonbury, which was you know arguably the best team in the state. You had South Windsor, who had beaten Glastonbury early in the year, was a gritty team that could play with speed, that would play on top of you, uh, that, that had some attention, that could get to the quarterfinals. And you know, look at Weathersfield. They were the kind of the darling of the, the year because mm-hmm. they were the team that uh, had struggled a couple of years in a row. Uh, had a great year. They really came out, uh, had a strong off season, some good work together, came out and played really well to start of the year. And they got to the tournaments uh, uh, with a with a bye, actually, at the Class Double L tournament. So those are the teams that a lot of people were paying attention to from the CCC North. Now, I don't want to say they were to discredit East Catholic too much. They made the tournament, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can safely say the three other teams are getting more attention to them. They get in, they win a couple games, and you're not even really paying attention to them. And then they win that quarterfinal game, and all of a sudden it starts to click in your head. Something special could be happening here. Yeah. Uh, and then they beat Lewis Mills in just a great, great game. Uh, and they get to that championship, and often this is the case. You know, you get that one goal that really stands out, and you can win these things, and they were able to do that. They played pretty well from that, from my understanding, uh, after the goal. Uh, and, and actually, Weston missed one late, uh, had a real good chance late. But they, they always found a way in the tournament. Uh, they're another team that seemed to approach that break they had in between uh, the CIAC tournaments and the end of the regular, CIA, regular, regular season. They, had, they approached that, tur- that break very well. I don't know the particulars of exactly what they did, but whatever they did worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Joe, when you look at the, the postseason, that can go either way. Teams don't always like having a 10-day break, break, but East Catholic came together at the right time. Uh, the matchup suited them, and they had and they had players that were capable. Maybe they didn't get the same attention as Glastonbury or South Windsor, uh, but they had players that were bound for college that were going to do great things. The, the one that comes to me is the, probably one of the most underrated players in our area, at least the current coverage area, was Mason Worthington, uh, midfielder going to Lafayette next year, uh, or yeah, next year. And, and she was one of these players that kind of slipped on the radar, maybe not uh, getting as much attention as the Glassmere South Windsor players or Northwest Catholic player, 
but really did a good job with this team moving the ball around. And they got timely scoring. If you get timely scoring, uh, you can do anything in high school soccer. It's, yeah. uh, it's about putting in the ball at the right time. Uh, you can get beat in possession, but if you score maybe in that first minute, in the last minute, uh, or whatever it may be after a big swing of momentum, uh, that really can carry you. And these Catholic was fort- not fortunate, but they, they played well enough and they, and they were rewarded for their play by getting timely goal scoring and, and a very deserving champion. I, I don't want to, you know, I started this whole thing by saying they were surprised, and I, I stand by that, and I stand by, you know, my predictions that, you know, I, I didn't see this coming. But they're a very deserving champion, uh, deserving coach. They played very well. Uh, talking to some of their league competition this year, this was an East Catholic team was a lot stronger than they've been in years past. Uh, gave a lot of teams good fights, and they they were never out of games when they played. And uh, I think that carried over into the tournament that attitude. And they, they really were, you know, Portland might have been the surprise story, the, the real story. But East Catholic wasn't far behind. Uh, the coach had been there for two decades. You know, this is this is a long time in the making and a, and a special story for them, no question. Yeah, no, you love to see those teams. And, uh, you know, obviously we, we like seeing anyone uh, and their sort of feelings of joy after winning the championships, but those teams that have really been sort of hungry for it are, are great to see them them come through and, and able to win the title. On the uh, yeah. Moving over to the uh, the Class M boys' side, you had Ellington um, that, again, sort of as you said, you just get that one moment uh, of champion, you know, in the championship game. You just got to find that one way to, to get a goal on the board and then sort of hope that that's enough. And uh, it was for Ellington as they won the, uh, the Class M final. What do, we, uh, what do we know about that squad and its run to a championship? Yeah, yeah, Joel, it was, it was interesting. I thought uh, Jim Leahy, actually the talent coach who played Ellington, summed it up pretty good. He said, look, uh, that, that's what kind of – talent played well, and they moved the ball well, and at times they held possession. But uh, And I, I'm paraphrasing him, too. Mm-hmm. Said, but they lost on a good goal, and that's sometimes the difference in high school soccer. So I, I really like that quote because it spoke to the truth of the matter, and it was honest, but it also gave credit to the other team. Uh, Ellington was able to get the, the goal, the goal that mattered, uh, in a game where they didn't come out and, and, and dominate the game by any stretch. You know, the last time uh, Ellington uh, entered, uh, well, they, they entered the final last year, but two year, uh, the, the time before that was 2008, was when they really dominated the final and they were really having favored. That's just not the case this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came in uh, knowing they were probably, if they were going to win, they were going to win by a goal. This wasn't going to be a one- or two-goal game for either side. Uh, and they kind of had weathered the early storm against Pollen. Pollen was the team that held possession, played maybe a little bit better soccer in the first half. But Pollen, Ellington really came on, got better as the game went on, played a really, really strong second half. Um, and, you know, Pollen marked James Costanza, who's, you know, Ellington's leading scorer all time, the guy that came in with a lot of attention. He was a pre-watch uh, All-American uh, they kind of shadowed him, and that allowed other players time to step up and have their moment. They get that goal. Uh, the game's still very, very tight after that. Mm-hmm. Then late in the game, there's a wild moment that a couple different people have told me about. Uh, I wish I could see it on film. Uh, I guess, you know, Colin gets a shot off the crossbar. The ball pings up higher than you would expect normally, comes down, bounces around. There's a couple chances. Uh, kind of that moment everybody wants to have if you're the the, the non-subjective uh, viewer in, in high school soccer game. If you're not rooting for Ellington or Tylen, it's it's kind of wild and exciting to see. Uh, but I guess it's it's not a surprise to see Ellington get better as the game goes on. Uh, we talk about coaches in the state, and I, I think there are a few 
better than Roy Gurn, and, and I think he's just one of the best coaches we have out there at the high school game at teaching the game and bringing right, the right demeanor to the game. Uh, he's just kind of, I don't want to say chill, uh, but he just, he, he, he's low-key and he handles the kids the right way, and it always seems to get them to react positively at this time of the year. Uh, so you see Ellington, you're making, they're making a run, and you just go, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Just because you know the attitude of the coach, yeah. you know how their players are posed, they don't put the expectations too heavily on themselves, and they, they, they just seem to get along when you watch them because of the way the coach, uh, his, his demeanor is. Uh, I, I've been lucky to cover Roy for, for every year that I've been the current, and he just continues to impress me. And, you know, I, I want, you know, and I, I don't want to give you know, just the credit to the coaching staff because the players played well too, but I think Roy's demeanor really helped them, this team, make a run. Um, you know, they were better than last year's team who kind of made the surprise run to a championship. So it wasn't a, a major uh, question of them getting there. I just think they came together at the right time. They played really, really good defense. I think that's the one thing that stood out if you saw them early in the year that carried over until this time, that they were just a team that never made mistakes on defense. I remember seeing them, Joel, in September. Mm-hmm. They played Suffield in the doubleheader with the girls, too. And Suffield was throwing everything they had at Ellington, just playing with a tremendous pace of the game. One of the best, well, most well-paced games I've ever I've seen this year. Just Suffield was running right at them. And Ellington was able to get out of that half 0-0 because they were very patient on defense. They didn't make mistakes. They were composed. They let the forwards do whatever they want with the ball. They didn't overstep their bounds. They just were very patient in their posture. And, you know, that comes back to coaching. Is that, that Maybe it's not the most exciting formation on the field, but they get it done. And they have also have a really great goalie in, in Bailey Bassett who really commands that back line and, and is the leader back there. They have two great center backs. They got a, they got a guy in Costanza that can play pretty much anywhere he wants on the field. They can bring him back if they want. They can play him high. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got a guy, who, Ryan Sherber, who played very great in the tournament. I think he played one of his better games in the final. Uh, so they had guys that were coming on. But it was an Ellington team that maybe didn't have the same amount of spotlight thrown on them as a couple of years ago. But they just came together. Good coaching. Uh, they were patient. They understand what they were. And they got the most out of it. And uh, that game against Holland was one of the great games uh, of the day. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see it. I really wanted to see it. But uh, from all I heard uh, and from talking to both coaches, it was just a special high school soccer game uh, against two great rivalries. And that's kind of what you hope when you when you see a matchup like Holland and Ellington. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it disappointed in any ways. And uh, the, the lasting impression is that uh, Ellington was a team that just – Kept getting better, kept working on the little things, and were playing their best soccer of the year, and that's why they're they're standing as champions. Yeah, no, and uh, allow me to to put in a bit of a shameless plug that you can find all of these uh, these games are available on demand on the NFHS network. So if fans want to uh, to go check out what uh, what Matt is talking about, you can find that uh, that championship game and uh, and watch it and get a feel for uh, for what was going on with that one or any of the others that we've talked about. So. My my shameless plug. Uh, let me put that in there. So now we uh, move on. We got three more three more champions. Well, three more championship games to talk about here. Um, a team you've mentioned a few times, and that I know you're familiar with from the uh, the Class L boys championship game, Avon and Bram.
Stanford, another uh, very hard-fought game, and sort of teams with a little bit of different histories in terms of, you know, Avon, a perennial power, and, and Brantford, a solid team, but a team that had never been able to, to come away with a championship in, uh, in boys' soccer. What do, you, what do you sort of take away as the big story from that Class L championship season? Well, you know, obviously you have to give a lot of credit to Brantford. They're another one of these teams that wasn't on paper mm-hmm. a team you would predict to get to this point. I don't think, uh, I, by any stretch of the imagination, I'm I'm lying when I say nobody had uh, Brantford picked to get there unless you were a Brantford parent or someone <laughs> uh, or a Brantford player. Uh, they were just a team that people weren't looking at. Uh, another team that I have to give all the respect in the world to, and especially uh, you know, I didn't predict them to win their first game. Then they get to that Barlow game, and you're thinking, oh boy, Barlow's steamrolling right now. They beat they beat Han, uh, they beat uh, Ram, two teams that had championship uh, caliber talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're thinking, oh boy, what, what's going to happen to Brantford? Brantford scores early, uh, weathers the Barlow storm. You know, Barlow likes to play that pretty soccer. Brantford doesn't get uh, overwhelmed with it. They play their game. And they kind of get through it. And you get to the championship game, and it's another. And you look at, oh, Avon's been very strong this tournament. Avon, this might be their year. And once again, they go down, Nicole. Brantford doesn't, they find a way. So to me, uh, they're, just, they're another surprise team that made a great run at the great time of the year. I don't know what their coaching staff did or what their players did, but it certainly worked. Uh, and for them to get that title, uh, I, I think if you look at all the games going into the championship weekend, and you're trying to predict what the scores will be, who will win. Mm-hmm. I have to say, on paper, maybe, Avon might have been the biggest favor in any of those games. I, I, I do believe that. Uh, you know, you, you figure with Riley Strasner, uh, the defense they have led by Stephen Dorney, uh, Avon can score goals, they can shut teams out. And I thought if they got a one-goal lead, uh, that was it. They were going to shut the door down on up Brantford again. That's what, it, what you need to do in soccer. You need to capitalize on that one great chance. They get it, and it's a tight game. Now, I know, uh, you know, I started by talking about Brantford, and, and they should be ecstatic, I think. You know, a lot of teams, you wonder how they approach a tie. I think Brantford should be very happy. I don't think it should take anything away with what Brantford did the tournament. And I think Avon, the kids are a little probably disappointed, but this is a great Avon team. So maybe, you know, in the next couple of days when they realize, you know, this thing of maybe not winning kind of fades away if it ever does, they, they have to, I hope this Avon group realized how special they were. Uh, I mean, for the for the guys that have been there almost every year, uh, they knew nothing but getting to the championships at L. Mm-hmm. Now, they had some tough luck. They lost to Farmington last year, who ended up winning. Uh, they lost to them in the quarter, uh, the second round. And then they lose to Farmington the year before the championship. And Bedell, uh, who had an amazing team a couple of years ago, uh, they lost to them in the championship. But what this Avon team was able to do was very, very special. Now, the Suffield gets a lot of the attention in the NCCC, but this is a very, very good Avon group um, that uh, have a lot of uh, accolades on their side. Uh, they were one shutout away, Joel, from tying the school record for shutouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, Riley Strasner was a couple goals away from tying the school record. Uh, and they, they were another team that seemed to get better as the year went on. Uh, they, one of their things was they, they could always play good defense. They lost a little bit of about a little bit of that at the end of the regular season. They got it back so they could be content with that. Um, and I think when the polls came out, the coaches' polls yesterday, 
you saw them ranked uh, in the top five, and I think that is very fitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were one of the tougher teams in L or double L that you could play. Uh, Brantford was able to match up well with them in that championship, but uh, Avon certainly a team that deserved to be in the final. A lot of these finals had surprises, teams that made underdog runs, but it's also, on the other side, it's good to see one of the best teams in the in the class get the championship. Summers was one of the best teams in class F, if not the best. And then they got the championship. And Avon, arguably the best team in L, they got the championship. So uh, a very good season. They didn't just put it together at the end. They played well at the end. But Avon was great from the beginning. And a team very, very deserving of getting their championship. And, and playing into a, a playing for a win or a tie, whatever it be, uh, they were a team that they could hang, hold their head high at this point. Um, because if they, they if you start the tournament over again, uh, it wouldn't be just good fortune if you had to give them a different draw. They would be probably get to the championship or the final four again. Yeah, no, certainly, uh, as you said, it's it's always fun. You know, the tournaments provide such a, a different look, you know, and depending on matchups and as you said, but it's always kind of interesting when you get the, the sort of combination of maybe some surprise teams and then, you know, you'd certainly, the teams that come away with the championships, it's hard not to say that they're the best teams, but uh, you love seeing sort of the, the teams that had the great regular seasons able to come through and then mixed in with some surprises. It's it's fun to yeah, get a little, bit of, the, uh, a little bit of each. You want the team that's deserving there. And, sure. Uh, not that it, I'm not saying any of the teams that weren't deserving, they were all deserving to get there, but Avon was a team that started the year strong, and they finished the year strong, and they were really one of the stories, not only in the NCCC, but in Class L. So you want that team there. You want to see the best teams in the championship. At least I do as, as a writer, and, and they were that. And uh, also, Avon was another team with a little bit of a, uh, a monkey on their back. They, they were so eager to get off. For each of the past six seasons, they had lost the eventual champions mm-hmm. in the state tournament, so now they can call themselves the state tournaments and state champions, and hopefully they 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 don't look at it like that again. Uh, they don't feel their snake pit at this point. I hope that's the case. You never know because these ties can sometimes feel with losses, but I, I think Avon deserves to be happy this week and really celebrate a championship. Absolutely. So you talk about a team that's uh, that's used to success, and now we jump over to uh, to Class L uh, girls where the uh, Immaculate Girls, who have been a dominant force in Class S for the uh, the past few decades, really, uh, that b- made the bump up to uh, to Class L as part of the uh, success and tournament factor that's been applied to soccer the last now two years, um, and and able to to find their way through to a championship there as well. What is what is sort of uh, stands out to you about the the Class L championship game? Well, it's, it's, they certainly had to go through another powerhouse. To- to get that championship, Joel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you look on, look at all the matchups. This, this for girls soccer was the was one of the matchups because you had a Macklet, a powerhouse, playing Avon, a powerhouse. Two teams certainly familiar with playing championship games, and they didn't disappoint. Avon goes ahead early. Immaculate has the comeback. Uh, great players on both sides. Uh, great talent on both sides. Good coaching. Uh, it was everything you want to see in one of these kind of blue blood matchups sure. where you have Immaculate and Avon. And, and you know, I think some people wondered, I don't think a lot of people wondered what Immaculate was going to be like when they moved to Class L. And it's kind of nice to, you know, not nice, but I don't have a rooting interest in either side. Mm-hmm. And the fact if I did, it would probably be Avon because they're in our coverage area. But I think it's nice to see teams that kind of, uh, everybody says, oh, they're only winning because they're in class F, you sure. know, or, you know, when North Coast Catholic was winning, oh, they're only winning because they're in F. Uh, well, no, they can win because they're simply a good team 
uh, that is well coached and knows how to get the players out every year. And that's the case of the Nacula. That's why they were good. Uh, it wasn't a matter of uh, them being in, in Class S and getting a favorable draw. Certainly that helps. But this is a great program. Coach Nelson is just a great coach. Uh, he gets great players. He gets them to come out and play very hard, very strong for them, playing good soccer. And, and then there was a reason why they were more than just uh, playing in a smaller division. There was a reason why they were winning those games because they were honestly the best, and yeah. there were there were no caveats to it. They deserved to win those class champion class S championships when they did. I think the class S feel ecstatic that they're gone, uh, and I think that they're in the right spot now. I think they should be now. Maybe it's a little bit tougher for them, but they can handle it. And they just proved it, and it's it's kind of fitting too to see that happen. Um, and, and to have to go through Avon, a team that has so much championship experience, and really we're the team that, that a lot of people thought would be there in Class L this year because of how many seniors they had. Uh, they had 18 seniors, Joel. It was just remarkable, wow. and they did everything possible this season to get to that game, um, especially in the quarterfinals against Guilford, which when I look at it back, that that has to be the game, one of the best games I covered all year. They ended up scoring in the last second. Uh, getting Coach Jim Murray or their foreigners win, uh, they just—it was a really strong senior group that you know played good team soccer. Uh, they had—they didn't have holes this Avon team, and that makes the immaculate victory all the more impressive. Is because Avon wasn't a team that you were going to beat nine times out of ten if you played it in the championship. It was a team that you know you was going to go fifty-fifty with, and uh, a team with eighteen seniors goes up one nothing in the championship game. That doesn't look good from the other side, but Immaculate found a way. Uh, they had all tournament. You know, they found a way against Northwest Catholic. They got these wins, and uh, that goes back to kind of the, the way the, the girls are taught at Immaculate, how to play soccer, how they're coached, and uh, how they're, the mindset they go into these games. And, and I think it clearly helps against Avon. But that was really, you know, a championship. Uh, if you're a high school fan, a uh, high school soccer fan, that was a great championship. I wasn't there. I've heard reports again. I would have loved to have been there. Again, uh, you wish that some of these uh, sites had four games at them. Uh, but that was everything you could ask for for a championship game. Uh, and, and obviously a little bit disappointing for those seniors that uh, play for Avon that have been really thinking about it for a long time. Again, they don't have anything to hang their head about. They, they played a really good season. Uh, and, and it just came up against a very, very good Immaculate team yeah. that uh, was also very deserving of the championship. Yeah. Uh, but one of those one of those games that you look at, it was, you said that's going to be an evenly matched game, and it certainly played out like that. Yeah, no question. And it makes you, you, you wonder sometimes, you know, and obviously talent is – Talent is critical and coaching is critical, but you do wonder, you know, those intangible things about having won championships before and, and knowing sort of that pressure and how to, to come through in, in big games. You know, it's it's impossible to know whether that's a factor or not, but you see a team like, like Portland, you know, we talk about that that was able to make that run last year and how much did that help them in S or, or maybe this immaculate team that uh, has kids who, who certainly know how to perform on the, the championship stage and, and whether that was a, a just a tiny little bit of a factor in, in in their in their uh, their favor going into the the 
the final. So we started uh, a conversation talking about Glastonbury, and now we uh, we can wrap up talking about Glastonbury, the uh, the girls' double L championship uh, in another outstanding game um, uh, there. Um, Matt, what do we uh, what what's the story with the the Glastonbury girls' championship team? Another team that uh, has been very very strong, but maybe hasn't had that championship game success uh, that their their sort of resume might suggest. So a, a, a team there. What what do we know about them? Yeah, they, they were the direct opposite of their boys' team, Phil. So their boys' team came out of, I don't want to say nowhere because they're Glastonbury, but their boys' team certainly wasn't the team people predicting. They weren't getting votes in the coaches' poll. It was the direct opposite for the girls. The girls' team was the best team in the state. Uh, no, I, I know there's probably some FCAC teams that are going to grumble when they hear me say that, but I, I stand by that. They were the best team at the start of the year. They were the deepest team. They had a lot of talent on their team. Uh, they had good coaching. They had everything you want. Uh, it was almost an embarrassment of Richards at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the team that everybody was fo- focusing on, and they really didn't have any missteps. And in fact, I think losing, you know, again, writers say this stuff, and I don't know if you should always believe it, but I think losing the South Windsor when they did at that time of year really uh, strengthened this team and, and how they approached it. Uh, Glastonbury, they didn't take anything off after that game. They played really, really good defense. After losing the South Windsor, Joel Sinicaro, he, he kind of switched up his uh, switched up his lineup a little bit. He moved Maddie Gray, someone who had been playing in midfield for the last two years. Uh, he moved her to the defensive position uh, as one of those team center backs, and it really solidified them and opened up the field. And they were a much better team after that move. Uh, it was funny, you know, I talked to Joel about it, and he said that was probably not a decision Maddie wanted or liked. Mm-hmm. But it was a decision she knew she had to do. And that's what happens with state championship teams. With teams that win championships, there's always a decision like that. When you look at the makeup and, and how a team plays, there's always something that goes back to somebody having to make a decision that maybe they don't enjoy or maybe it's a little bit of a selfless act. And they, and they, they do it, and it helps the team. And that was the case for a glass where the defense only got better. Uh, every, their goalie, Abby, got better as the game wore, the season wore on. They had done a little bit of a situation, but she was their goalie at the end. I, I thought she was playing her best soccer, uh, her best goaltending came at the end of the year. And, and you have just everywhere you look on that Glastonbury team, there was no hope. Uh, you could really rely on anybody to score goals or really have really good on-the-ball defense. Mm-hmm. And they just clicked when they got to the tournament. I think winning that Staples game, uh, get, getting that win under their belts really helped them uh, and when they won that, you go, oh, okay. this is the team. They are clearly the favorite at this point. They played Simsbury. Uh, I thought Simsbury played very well, especially year for Simsbury. Uh, they get to the semifinals. Jim Meyer did a great job with that group. Uh, probably one of the better soccer teams Simsbury has had on the girls' side. Uh, but Glastonbury, just so strong at keeping the ball in front of them. Uh, they, they, they're able to defend so well in the midfield that they can kind of push their uh, defense back, have them sit back, and that's even tougher to break down, Joel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Simsbury really wasn't able to get many chances in the middle of the field, and when they were, were getting shots on that, they were from the peripheral. Um, and, and that all comes back to you know having a team that just really focused in on, on not just the backline defense, but on the team defense. And they could score, you know. Yeah. Uh, Maddie Lamongo was somebody who always seemed to be putting in goals. She wasn't the other one. It was Evelyn Spencer, it was Brittany Uh Mark Constino, uh, Maddie Gray. I mean, 
Taylor Walker, the list goes on and on. Uh, just the players that uh, can play at such a high caliber and and you have confidence in if you're a coach, uh, the utmost confidence. There, there was just not one single hole in their team. They were the favorite from the start. And often in the case of Glass and Mary girls, they don't always finish it. Uh, just be, whether or not it's it, it, most of the time it has nothing to do with them. It's just a matter of they face good competition. Sure. It's so tough to win uh, uh, in the high school tournament, especially the double L tournament. So they had only had one title, but they were really able to finish it this year. And, and it was remarkable because a player like Maddie Gray had started every season for Glastonbury, and uh, I mentioned Brittany before. These were players that played on that first championship team in 2011 when Mackenzie Hallamal was the leader. They kind of get the bookend now. They win in 2011 as uh, freshmen, and then they win this year as uh, seniors. And it was a very deserving Glastonbury team. Uh, and it's just, just their feeder system at Glastonbury is so strong. These girls come in ready to play uh, and play good soccer, and that helped them here. Their depth was the, the main reason they won, and they were well coached to get to this point. And they just they were the team everybody was paying attention to. Favorable war played a great tournament, played a great final. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we almost had the, the the idea that this was going to happen. This was the year for Glastonbury. This was they had all these players coming back. Uh, they had the midfield. They had there was no hole in their starting eleven. Uh, so it's the least surprising victory probably of any of the uh, any of the GIAC tournaments, uh, but certainly one of the most deserving for how they approached the season. They didn't take many days off, and how they played soccer throughout the year. They were the team that was getting the attention, uh, and they certainly a team that deserves the attention at the end of the year. They just they were a very good girls soccer team, uh, one of the better girls soccer teams we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, and then you look back, Northwest Catholics probably the team that always gets the attention. Uh, and I'm not saying they were better than them, but certainly Glastonbury's depth was uh, pretty special. You don't see teams as, as loaded as this one. Yeah, no, and uh, and as you said, the the thing you said that I particularly liked, you know, that the, you know, you get some of these teams and they're perennially strong and and uh, you know they're competing for championships every year, but it's it's hard to win a state championship. Uh, you know, you got to win a lot of games, you got to get bounces to go your way, all that stuff. So it uh, it's no easy task, and all of these teams should be uh, commended for for coming away with championships, and uh, we love hearing about it. So Matt, thank you very much. You are uh, next year. We're just going to play all eight championships in your backyard, so you could be our yeah, correspondent. I, I, I appreciate that. Can we have like a eight, can we have an eight doubleheader? Or I mean, maybe I'm being a little selfish. Like put two girls games and two boys games at the same site so I can cover them. We'll, we'll do I, that I, for I, you. We we just need your we want your as our uh, our soccer correspondent. So we'll get you uh, covered all of them, and uh, we'll 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 hire a helicopter to fly you around Connecticut if we have to. To uh, yeah, that's it. not that's not our budget, but I appreciate that. <laughs> no uh, problem. You so. know, I just, I just want to say, Joel, thank you for everything you guys do, and also you know. Thanks to the coaches and players that, if they are listening, it's just uh, it was a really enjoyable year covering high school soccer. This was my seventh season doing it, and I just had a blast. And uh, I feel very lucky to have this job, and uh, I enjoy it a lot. And the, the coaches and players and teams are good to me, so it's uh, it's not work; it's fun. And, uh, and I was impressed with everybody, and respect to every team out there. You know, I mean, I highlighted Glastonbury and some other teams a little bit more than the others, but I really enjoyed covering. Uh, everybody this season it was fun well and we enjoy uh, having you come on to talk about it so uh, an excellent sentiment to end uh, our chat and matt it's always a pleasure uh, you, you'll be on the hockey beat shortly and uh, i'm guessing we may check in with you from time to time on that as well so thanks as always for yep. being with us thanks joel
Thanks very much to Matt for his in-depth perspective on all of the things taking off with soccer. It was a very exciting soccer championship day, and Matt Conyers always has interesting insights on what happens with the soccer finals. So really appreciate him taking the time for a, uh, a very in-depth talk and really enjoyed hearing what he has to say and hearing enjoyed hearing what all of our guests had to say this week. We thank them very much for being with us. Nick Green, Steve Buno, Dan Nowak, and of course Matthew Conyers really enjoyed talking with all of them and offering their expertise as we wrap up this should this edition of the CIAC cast we'll be back again in two weeks we will be leading into the football championships which will be getting underway in just a few weeks believe it or not hopefully the weather cooperates with us and we're able to have a wonderful football championship season after such a great beginning to the fall championship season so again be sure to check out tournament central for all of the up-to-date tournament news for CIAC tournaments you can follow us on twitter at CIAC sports CIAC Sports also on Facebook, facebook.com slash CIAC Sports. Lots of great ways to keep track of what's going on with your favorite Connecticut High School athletics team as we head into the conclusion of the fall season. Once again, I'm Joel Cookson. We thank you so much for being with us. We hope you will be back with us again next time with another edition of the CIAC Cast.